Welcome back to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. This episode was sponsored by DesignSpark, design tools and resources for engineers to help make their ideas happen. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not the typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we're welcoming Pablo Lebroth, an investment manager at the UK Innovation and Science Seed Fund. The UK I2S Fund invests in deep technologies in all sectors, including chemistry, physics and biotechnology. Pablo focuses on the biotech and synthetic biology part of the fund and has a background in the biotech industry. It'll be great to get an insider's perspective on venture capital investment. Hi Pablo, thank you very much for coming on the show with us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. If you could tell us a bit about your background and how you became a VC investment manager. Sure. Um, So I came to London to study pharmacology and neuroscience. Um, And I was really interested in the science and learning about the the theory. Um, But I really wanted to create some sort of product or um, using the the theory to create something applied. Um, So I started learning a lot about entrepreneurship and what it means to start a business in the bioscience industry uh, and so on. And... um, you know, little by little, I learned, you know, to create business plans and evaluate technologies. Um, so I then decided to do this master's uh, in, in business, um, which uh, really consolidated my knowledge in, in this area between science, science and business. Mm. Um, and then I went on to work at a cell engineering company uh, to work in the commercial side. Um, and then finally, it could you know, use all that knowledge um, I gathered in technology analysis and due diligence uh, to then uh, apply it in in uh, venture capital. And how much do you currently have a hand in the science that goes on versus more the commercial side then? It, it's, um, I'd say 50-50 really. So because we invest in really early stage companies, uh, almost pre-company stage at times all the way to series A, um, we really have to do the technical due diligence ourselves. So even though we don't, you know, we can't be experts in every single uh, bit of biotechnology, we do tend to read all the papers, uh, patterns ourselves, and then consult with um, a lot of advisors, especially when it's a um, very specific uh, matter, you know, analyzing preclinical data and so on. And then we tend to do the commercial side ourselves as well. So um, doing any financial projections, um, figuring out what's the best operational plan for a business. So we do operate in, in both sides uh, of the table. Um, as I said, with the science, uh, it's it really depends. So we uh, specify what we call synthetic biology, um, and we define that as anything that can edit the genome or produce uh, proteins, for example. So depending on on what's the, the actual industry or the subject matter, we tend to do more ourselves or uh, outsource the, the uh, technology consultancy. And the fund you're managing, the, the UK Innovation and Science Seed Fund, 
is investing in, in early stage ventures, which are stemming from, from the UK's research base, as you, as you said. Can you tell us a little bit more as to why the fund focuses on this market segment? That's right. So um, one of the major drivers is that there is, uh, as you might know, the, the valley of death, right? So there's um, a lack of funding between a spin-out stage of a, of a company from, uh, say, academia, um, all the way to, to uh, Series A, Series B, and further rounds. Um, and so we provide the first funding um, in order to make these deep technologies, as we call them, um, get to further rounds where the you know other VCs can then put bigger checks. So we can invest anywhere between 50k for the first proof of concept uh, for a technology. You know, for example, if it's um, if it's a therapeutic. We could invest in, in the first few preclinical studies, um, but then we follow on our money um, all the way to Series A. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in this case, it can be like phase one, but we also invest in uh, agricultural biotechnology. Um, we can also invest in bioinformatics, so anything related in that area. And what does that ongoing relationship look like once you've made that initial investment? How do you manage your relationships with the founders that you're that you're working with? Sure. So um, it's pretty hands-on. So we really like helping our companies as founding investors um, to really uh, help them guide their commercial strategy. So that, that can involve uh, experimentation design. Um, as a lot of investors would like to see certain types of data. So we help them um, design their experiments in a way that is investor-friendly rather than um, uh, in an academic way. Um, so really guiding a proof of concept. So if it's if we've invested the first 50K, we might you know, have um, a meeting every week, every two weeks, in order to make sure that everything's going all right. If the company is a bit more mature, then we... Um, the relationships are mostly through you know, board meetings, uh, but we also have uh, ad hoc uh, conversations when required. Um, so, so it is quite, we work really closely with companies in order to really help them um, through these first stages of, of commercialization. That's really interesting. And what, how does that then affect your time spent? So what's the sort of split between time spent looking at investment opportunities versus managing that ongoing relationship yeah of course so, so i'd say there's four main parts um to the job so it's as you said sourcing then analyzing then you know carrying out the, the investments and managing the portfolio companies so i wouldn't i wouldn't know what to say in terms of uh, a percentage split um but i'd say most of the time is spent um you know both sor sourcing the companies analyzing them um because that takes you know, you have to go to conferences, uh, which takes, you know, maybe one or two days. Um, and then analyzing, you have to talk to experts, um, you have to read the papers yourself. So that can take a lot of time. But then the managing the portfolio is, is also really interesting. And I'd say, you know, it takes a third of the time, which is also going to board meetings, making sure that everything's going all right with the company and making sure that, you know, you can, if there's anything you can do to help that company progress uh, faster or in a different direction um, to achieve their goals. Mm. Mm, really interesting. What are the some of the main things you're looking for in a in a startup company? 
Right. So I think, I mean, I can't really speak for all VCs, but uh, for us, there's a few things that um, stand out, at least from a founder perspective. Because, um, you know, when you invest in really early stage companies, you are really investing in the founder as well as the technology, um, as you really need to trust the person to drive this early stage technology. So I think from the start, um, a founder that's responsive can give clear answers and honest and is honest uh, with the investor is a huge positive. So I think there's a huge trust element in the in the VC company relationship. Um, and as you'll be working with a company, you know, for five years plus in case of a, of a biotech company. So if you can demonstrate the, this uh, honesty and, and clarity is hugely beneficial um, for both parties. Mm-hmm. Is that usually the differentiating factor for you and most sort of investment managers? Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to say, but um, I'd say all investment managers would would uh, would really like you know to see uh, an honest uh, founder uh, in terms of you know being uh, cognizant of what are the advantages and disadvantages of of a company and being clear about that. Well, I mean, in in a sense, it's a bit surprising, I, I suppose, because I, I would assume that kind of being honest is kind of I, I would take that as as given. Um, so, it, I mean, is that a standout criteria for you? Right. No, no, it's not. So, so there's uh, in terms of the company itself, there's quite a few things that we look for. So, one is um, investing in you know big ideas. So, what we define that is uh, as is a uh, an idea who can, that can penetrate a lot of different markets. So not necessarily, you know, one single asset that can, you know, you can be then sell to the com- to another company, but um, a company, for example, that's developing a platform um, that can then, its technology can be used to target the healthcare market or um, as well as the agricultural market. So we're looking at a company, for example, that might have a new gene editing technology. And, you know, we think that's a huge idea um, as, it, you know, the, the, the potential for the technology is, is massive. And thinking about it from the other way around, for if I was a founder, what would uh, what would mean that it makes sense for me to seek VC investment? Or why might I, as a founder, choose to delay it or choose to find other sources of investment? Yeah, no, it, that's a really good question. So I think um, it really depends on the industry as well. So if you can... Um, Gather for the first few experiments, if you can, um, you know, raise funding from university or from um, uh, friends and family, that's great. I think at some point, the if you need to do a lot of experimentation, it can get really expensive. So I think at that point, VCs can really help. Um, so it's, and it's not only the financing perspective; it's also the expertise. So if you um, Say, for example, if you seek investment from a biotech VC, they can really help you with contacts in terms of um, not only the clinical experimentation, so setting up your clinical phases, uh, maybe putting in touch with with experts, as well as raising uh, investment in the future as well. Um, You might want to delay it if you, for example, don't have any data at all. You might want to, as I said, do a few experiments first just to make sure just to show that is not just an idea on paper, and that is something that you've uh, that you've invested your own time in it. Um, and if there's no experimentation involved, I think talking to customers as well is really important. 
uh, and shows that you know you have validated your idea um, in a commercial sense, not only in a technical way as well. So you said that um, your fund looks mainly at synthetic biology, and that the industry to me strikes as quite different to some of the other people that we've been talking about who have been more sort of software based. So what are the what are the um, nuances of the industry that make it more difficult as a VC investor and also as a founder? Yeah, uh, it is definitely a lot more different in software. And even though we're seeing um, quite a mix between you know, software and synthetic biology at the moment, but um, I think there's the challenges are completely different. So uh, whereas software is in, really cheap um, to manufacture and you can, you know, high basically the the um, the higher costs are from labor, but with synthetic biology, say you're building um, a recombinant bacteria in order to produce a protein, uh, the cost of goods can be exorbitant, and that can pretty much um, preclude sending uh, selling anything. Maybe just go on elaborating a little bit on the difference between, say, as a software startup and a startup that focuses more on the biomed space? Yeah, there's a few differences. So the first one is timelines. With software, you can iterate through um, products quite quickly. So you can you know, have an MVP, a minimal viable product, uh, release it to a customer, get some feedback, and you know, uh, uh, switch it around. With synthetic biology, you have to experiment, and that can take uh, you know, eight weeks, or you know, depending on what you're making, in order to get uh, some results. So the timelines are a lot larger, which you know, for VCs it can be quite challenging. Um, but for us, so we're patient capital. We don't have a, um, a maximum. Um, we don't have a, a fund deadline. We're evergreen. So for us, we're quite patient, and we understand that. Uh, but I understand, you know, some software VCs that go into synthetic biology that can be quite challenging. Mm. Um, and what I was saying before is that uh, the actual costs uh, structure are very different. So with software, um, the major costs come from labor, right? Like hiring software engineers. But with synthetic biology, it can actually come from the actual product itself. So manufacturing a protein can be incredibly expensive. Um, so the the there's a lot of uh, cost comparison between you know, what's the current manufacturing process and can actually synthetic biology do something about it? Um, and does it make sense for this market itself? Interesting. I, I suppose what many people don't realize is that VC in itself is a very competitive industry in which most funds actually do not manage to achieve uh, attractive risk-adjusted returns for their own investors. What, in your opinion, sets apart a top fund from the rest of the VC industry? Something that's really important in VCs, uh, in my opinion, is uh, having a, a focus in either technology or sector, and most do. And I think having um, in-house expertise is incredibly valuable. Um, as I've noticed, um, you know, when we get pitch decks that aren't in a relevant uh, area, it's quite difficult to judge if it's a good idea or not. Um, so sometimes, you know, I can't speak for all funds, but um, if, if a fund is very generalist, um, I wouldn't know how they would analyze all of these companies if they're not in, the, in their sector area. Mm -hmm. Good point. 
So if we move on to maybe thinking about some advice that we can give founders of startups, um, from your experience of uh, founders that have come to pitch to you, what are some of the um, most common cardinal sins that entrepreneurs can make um, when they pitch to VC investors? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's um, I think, from my experience, there's a couple. So one is um, one that you've probably heard before, which is just diving really deeply into the into the theory of the of the science. So, for example, you know, not, sometimes you can get um, people who are really passionate about the science and the technology. So they'll spend the the pitch deck, uh, the entire pitch, uh, talking about the technology, without really assessing um, what the markets are. The competition and you know if, if there's an unmet need and i think that's really important because a lot of the times um you get a technology and it's more of a of a market push rather than than a pull so it's someone that has a solution um but it's not necessarily what the market needs so i think it's really important for in a pitch um to show that there's a need for this technology and it's not just something that you know, they've created and they're really passionate about, which is also important, but also that there's a need for it. I think that's uh, really important. And, um, you know, in terms of a more softer um, pitching uh, tips would be, and, and this is also quite common, is um, not having huge blocks of text. Um, and you'd be surprised how many times actually that happened. Um, so having, you know, very simple uh, presentations, with all the key data um, and key points is really important, but uh, yeah, um, sometimes having less is, is a lot more. Mm, yeah, and I remember being at one of your talks and you were mentioning also that um, in from the competitive landscape analysis, people have a habit of saying that they um, that there are no competitors in the space, but there's always a competitor or there's always somebody that has a way of solving that solution. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, it might be an indirect competitor, it might be the existing solution to the problem. So, yeah, as you said, there's always a type of comp competitor out there. Mm. Now, apart from VC investment, what other ways to finance a startup can you recommend? So, um, grant funding is uh, hugely important, I'd say, especially in the UK, which we have, a you know, there's a really great grant funding system. So we collaborate with Innovate UK. We have um, a pot of funding um, that we invest alongside um, our equity. So we this, we call it the Accelerator Subfund. Um, and basically companies um, can apply to us and we can tell them uh, if we like the company, if we do the analysis, we can tell them to apply to this uh, competition. And it's essentially 50-50 grant funding to equity which means it's great for um, founders because they get less dilution um, and it's great for us because we, you know, we, we spread the risk. So everyone wins in this situation. Um, so we really think crowdfunding is hugely beneficial. Um, and it's almost, you know, I, I know some VCs really seek uh, companies that have already been awarded crowdfunding almost as a, as a de-risking step or, um, you know, a, a kind of a pivotal point that makes a company more investable than before because it kind of validates um, their points as for example in Innovate UK they the the um the assessors 
are quite highly qualified and know a lot about the industry. And if they get an award, you know, it means that um, it's in some way validated in that sense. Um, so I think grant funding is really important. Um, you have competitions as well. So if you if you're a very uh, early stage company, there's so many competitions in the UK at the moment. Um, you know, there's some there's loads in Cambridge, uh, Oxford as well, in London. So I think that's a good way again to you know show that you have some um, some validation, especially if you know they're, they're uh, big competitions. Um, and get some money in order to advance uh, your company and your business plan. Now, in your space, do you also find startups that are trying to bootstrap? Um, so, in yes, we have had a couple of encounters, but it's a lot less common, as I imagine, than in software. Um, and that's because the you know, the quantities of funding required are a lot higher mm -hmm. due to the fact that most of the times you have to... Um, You know, you, you need lab space, you need to buy consumables and equipment, and that can, you know, add up a lot of costs. It's true that uh, now with CROs, um, contract research uh, organizations, you can, you know, the, the capital expenditure is a lot lower. You can, um, you can rent out equipment or rent out a lab space or even just uh, outsource everything. So you do get a lot of, um, a lot more virtual companies. So for, you know, 50,000 pounds, a company can uh, carry out the proof of concept in a lab, in a CRO or, or a university. Um, so we have found uh, companies bootstrapping, but I think they bootstrap um, to, a, to a lesser extent than, than in software. I think with software, you can bootstrap um, quite long, a lot longer than in, than in uh, biotechnology. If we then move on to you've decided to make the initial investment with me as a founder. Um, so what would be your tips to me for how to have a healthy relationship with my investor? So something um, we really like and that a lot of our companies do is, um, you know, having good communication. So when we send an email, you know, most of the time we want to, to help out in, in some way. You know, we want to introduce a company to someone Uh, sorry, uh, we introduce uh, maybe a potential hire to, to a company or a potential investor. So it's good to have a very responsive uh, attitude. Um, so I think that that's really good. I think from our end is, is the same. So we we need to be very responsive to the companies as well, as we have you know a, a, a responsibility in that sense. Um, I think... Um, Yeah, I, I think that's the major point. And as I said before, um, you know, being clear in the answers, especially when you know talking about numbers and data, is, is really hugely beneficial. I mean, over the course of your career, what are some of the lessons you've learned that distinguish successful startup journeys from less successful ones? I think um, so. It's coming back to what we had a chat about before um, which is you know how big is the idea so they can and I think it's also how you define a success right because there's a lot of companies that can exit um, you know for a reasonable amount which you know would be a success but I think it's for us were we the first investors in that company were we did we you know create the venture with the founders and help them commercialize the, the product 
I think that's a huge success for us. Um, in terms of what companies showed at the start is, um, especially the founders having a vision where they want to go and what they want to do from the start. I think that's really important. Um, and and the, the kind of, you know, the size of the idea, like do they want to create one asset and then you know, just sell it? Or do they want to create a platform and be able to um, to really target loads of markets and have really big ambitions? I think that's one of the key um, one of the key features or characteristics we found in in companies that can define success in the future. Mm -hmm. Interesting. A anything about certain team behaviors or how how the founders divide their equity? Or any related lessons? So from when I started the job, I actually thought they were, that would be a lot more impactful. So, um, you know, how founders divide the, their equity, what, you know, what would they think? Like, do they, if they argue too much about it? Um, but actually, it's, it seems like, so to me, that is not that big of an issue, at least at that this early stage. The companies are, you know, most of the companies we work with, um, are very happy, you know, to just get started, because as as I said, there's this valley of death where there's no or very few VCs where that will fund the space, um, and so they they're really uh, you know driven in order to uh, to start the, um, the the experiment. So I think yeah, I think it really depends on the company, and I think it's. Um, It demonstrates a lot of maturity, you know, wanting to, um, you know, put the company first um, rather than their, their personal ambitions. That's a very important lesson for startups founders to learn. Um, I think we will wrap up on a fun question um, or a more general question. Um, so from your perspective, what are the sort of current trends that we should that people should be looking out for in this space? Um, and it could be synthetic biology or a wider field? Yeah, sure. So I think um, even though it's not a new field, I think it's changing a lot, which is um, computational biology. So the the interface between uh, biotechnology and, and software, um, for instance, in bioinformatics or computational drug discovery. Um, so I think how it's changing is that we used to get a lot of companies with algorithms. Say uh, we can analyze, you know, these uh, data sets, public data sets, and find some interesting information. But I think that the change uh, to really valuable companies now is companies that are creating their own data sets, um, and that's I think where the key lies. The the which is. Um, You know, creating data sets that didn't exist, that no one else can access, um, that are completely novel, and that you can, you know, you have an algorithm to then generate some insights from it. Um, and it, you, you, we're seeing a lot more companies doing that, which is uh, hugely beneficial. Um, you know, because if it's a public data set, um, even though you know you can structure the data in, in interesting ways, um, it, there's no barrier to entry for other competitors. Amazing. You heard it here first, people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I mean, one thing I was wondering about, has there ever been an idea uh, which you have come across where you thought there's no way that this is going to fly and then subsequently you discover that it actually 
became successful. Did you ever come across something like this? Well, I think, I mean, it's not, I didn't think it wasn't going to work, but I'm um, so, I, I don't know, I guess quite uh, in awe that they made it work, which is Ginkgo Bioworks, um, which is perhaps one of the biggest synthetic biology companies in the world. Um, and because the, these, a lot of the, you know, plasmid manufacturing platforms are really difficult to, to, um, to commercialize. Um, but they made it work and made it kind of the largest company um, in this space, you know, collaborations with Bayer, um, Monsanto, and so on. So I think I think that's one of the companies that I, I guess I didn't think it wasn't going to work, but I didn't think it were going to be that uh, humongous, I guess. <laughs> that's really interesting. And I, I, I suppose venture capital investment or investing rather can be a very humbling experience sometimes because I think a lot of times you do get it wrong and sometimes you get it right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you can't predict the future and there's sometimes um, you have an investment thesis and that can, um, you know, it doesn't mean that in every single investment it will, it will apply. But that's, I think, why it's good to have a lot of different VCs with different strategies um, as overall, I think it's it's good for the technology industry um, to be able to you know distinguish, uh, to have different uh, opinions about different technologies um, and, and make them succeed. Mm. Very true. Thank you very much, Pablo, for coming on the show with us and for your amazing insight into venture capital. Yes, that was really interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Something that really stood out to me in that conversation with Pablo were the differences between synthetic biology startups and some mm. more software startups. So things such as the different timeline and, it, and the importance of a founder being really passionate about their idea rather than being able to run through lots of product iterations quickly. And also he mentioned about companies going through business competitions and getting grant funding as different ways of of getting funding and I think those were really important to highlight especially for the synthetic biology area. Mm -hmm. No I completely agree and for me it was fascinating to hear this insider's view because I suppose what many founders don't realize is how competitive the VC industry actually is mm. and the more they can understand how this industry works I think the more they are likely to find the firm or the investment manager that's most suited to their venture. So, for example, I read somewhere that there are thousands, literally thousands of venture capital funds, but only a tiny proportion of them, they are profitable mm. for their own investors, the limited partners. Mm. And so what that actually means is that a lot of these funds don't make any money. And I think if you're a founder you ideally want to work with a fund that's successful and has a proven track record and can help you as a, as a company to achieve your, your success. So I know that Pablo mentioned that the fund that he works with, the UK Innovation and Science Seed Fund, are an evergreen fund. Um, so could you discuss maybe a bit more about that, Thomas? No, that was an excellent point. And I suppose what many don't realise that most funds have a limited fund life cycle. Mm. I think traditionally most investment funds are set up for about 10 years. But in particular in the life sciences, people have realized that much longer fund cycles are necessary mm. 
to achieve success. And so we are seeing the emergence of what's called patient capital. And um, Pablo's fund is an example. So they are set up as an evergreen fund. So they don't have any fixed end date, which in turn could be very helpful for some of their um, companies because they then know that there's no end date to their investment and the company has enough patience, the investment company that is, to see them through to achieve maybe the success they can achieve. Thanks very much to Pablo again for joining us on Q Talks and thank you to everybody for listening. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV and we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech. Please rate us or leave us a comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or a theme or tell us about your experiences in applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks. And also a big reminder for QTech's Technology Venture Conference, which is on the theme of automation, 25th of June, Cambridge's first unconference-style conference. You can buy your tickets and find more information at cambridgedvc.com.